This podcast is brought to you by ThamesCon, bringing conventions to Oxford and London, including the Great Conjunction, the first ever dark crystal convention in the world. For more information, visit their website at www.thegreatconjunction.com. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Dea, Tea, Dara, Tea. Your vital essence, the Dark Crystal. Kida, Kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Aru, Garu. How very interesting. Dea, Tea. I feel the song of Thra in my heart! Now go, you heroes of Thra! Hello and welcome to Trial by Stone, the Dark Crystal podcast. I'm your host, Philip. Just want to say thank you so much for joining us um, to this episode as we talk all things Dark Crystal and in particular more so with Age of Resistance. Um, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Sydney. So, Sydney, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. We got rain in California this week, so uh, all you listeners who've been hearing about all our fires and everything, you can all cheer with me that it is finally wet in California. Woohoo! Um, that being said, I'm so excited to meet Dan today. I'm so ready. Yes. Let's yes, do this. Yes, of course. Yes. So yeah, I mean, so he he is here on the show actually. Um, so Daniel, um, Dewurst, who um. He, well, I mean, if you haven't seen the show, I don't know what, why you're listening to this. Um, but I mean, spoilers. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's been a year. Um, but Daniel, he, um, he, he was a one, uh, performer. Um, he performed um, the Gotham uh, from the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. So, Daniel, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. No, no, it's my pleasure. And actually, uh, funny you should say about the spoilers because I did have to keep myself a secret for a very long time through uh, Netflix orders. Yes, yeah. I mean that must have been pretty hard. Like even though um, you know you um, you know even though it was sort of like a very small role, but it, you know because of the impact of the sort of the legacy. How dare you? Of, small. You know of this creature. <laughs> um, that yeah, it must have been very hard oh, to sort of keep so that secret. Yeah. If only, if only. Yeah. But, um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. It was a great cliffhanger. I feel like we can talk about it now because, as you said, if you haven't seen it oh, by yeah. now, I mean, come on, come. You're yeah. Lost. <laughs> Too bad. Get out there and watch here. it. But yeah. um, no, it's actually. I mean, it shows you. I know Netflix probably again a bit of a hard time at the moment from the fans, but it just shows you how great they are. And they did make the show happen, and then they do all these little follow-ups. So, like they said to me, "Yeah, you cannot acknowledge your involvement in this show at all because if people know you're involved, they'll know there's a Gotham." which is a massive spoiler at the end. And it's like a real treat for the fans. So it was a really long time before I could even do like an Instagram thumbs up to say like, yeah, <laughs> you know, I like this, you know, I'm involved in this. So um, it's cool that I can finally say it. And could you even say that you were involved in the project at all? Like, you know, I'm doing this, but I can't tell you what. I'm, I'm in this project, but I can't tell you why. I don't think they were going to trust me with it because I'm a bit of a talker, as you know. So I think uh, <laughs> I think they thought best just tell Dan he can't say anything. Then there's no chance of any spoilers. But it, as I said, I mean, it's it's a very fan orientated request. So I think 
that was kind of cool that Netflix bothered to do that. And they probably did that with a number of people. I, <laughs> unless, unless it was just me, they just thought, oh, screw Dan. Just <laughs> we'll tell him to no, shut you're, up. You're not the first to tell us a similar story like that. We've, we've had a chat with a few um, puppeteers and performers um, by now, and they've, they've expressed similar sentiments about how they were so excited to finally be able to, to sort of spill about how excited they were because so much had to be hush-hush for such a long time. And that was even for, um, I mean, we talked to Alice Deneen, who, uh, among many other things, she uh, is the puppeteer for Brea, and even she was like, yeah, there was so much we couldn't talk about before and um, so excited to finally be able to just sort of spill my heart out about it because we couldn't do that for so long. So, yeah, you're, it definitely wasn't just you. You um, you weren't just the, sport, the new kid. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I was a massive fan of the original and all those films that surround it, like Labyrinth and all the sort of greats in the 80s. And it was it was really difficult when I did my audition, my first audition, Toby Froud actually held the audition I and I wasn't expecting that at all right. so I walked in and saw him and uh, was just such a fanboy it's a, it's a kind of a miracle I've got this job because I've never conducted myself so unprofessionally I think I I think he'll he'll vouch this I think I walked up to him and demanded he signed my face that was the first thing <laughs> I said and then and then I sang the song of the babe to him <laughs> I mean, it was about as unprofessional and fanboy as you can get. But uh, he, he joined me in it and he, he, he loved it. So, so it seems to, seem to work out quite well, luckily. Yeah, uh, I listened to your interview with our, our good friend James uh, not too long ago and uh, just laughing my butt off at that, that story about your audition. Um, Toby Froud seems, I mean, we, we've had him on the podcast as well. He's a really, really great dude, and I'm sure no matter how many hundreds of fanboys um, sing You Remind Me of the Babe to him, he probably still um, is really great about it. So I um, I am curious, though, about... Yeah, he's a wonderful... Um, that audition process, though, I am very curious about. I did want to ask you a little bit about that because um, we've heard a little bit about what it's like to audition as a puppeteer for the Henson Company. Um, but I was curious as to how the audition process might differ for more of a full body performer um, or for an actor, um, not necessarily just a puppeteer. How did this audition uh, compare to you com compared to other auditions that you've been through as a performer? Normally, you're just in this stark white room with maybe a cast narrator, maybe a cast narrator's assistant, and you're just performing to lens. And then if they like you, they'll show it to the clients. And it's very um, impersonal. And then with this one, it was different because uh, it was full, the room was full of people and people who are really invested in the franchise. Uh, and then also I went down to the studio. I didn't go down to a, um, you know, a kind of bleak white rule casting place i actually went down to <laughs> to thra because they built thra inside this place um so and i was sort of held in these several different holding pens before i went into the audition itself and each one was full of amazing you know artifacts you know original puppets all sorts of things so it was really it was really exciting and also it was very mysterious they hadn't actually the first audition i mean they hadn't given me too much information at the beginning, I had to sign so many NDAs and things. I mean, I, being a massive fan, I pretty much cracked it as I, as I went along and I, I knew what I was doing. <laughs> but um, when I went in there, I mean, my audition is probably very different 
very different still to a lot of other people's because I auditioned for The Hunter right. uh, and I ended up getting the Gartham role, but I, I wasn't being auditioned for the Gartham. So uh, I auditioned for The Hunter. Um, I'm not quite, they requested me to come in and I'm not quite sure why they requested me. I had done other kind of costume character work, um, but I think it wasn't to do with that. I think it was a bit more like the original Predator film, which they famously cast Jean-Claude Van Damme in. So they, I think they cast a lot of martial artists and I had a background in martial arts and they, they liked something they'd seen there. So they wanted the hunter to be very capable, at least in the original casting. So I went in, they fitted me up with the hunter outfits, which is an amazing sort of, you know, first moment coming in the room. Uh, and then they were sort of told me the kind of martial arts styles they were interested in things. And they kind of basically said, this is a scenario. What would you do in that style? And I had to kind of convey, <laughs> try to do this, do these kind of martial art forms in this unbelievably restrictive, heavy suit, which had a tail. And the tail really throws off your equilibrium. Um, and it was a, quite an acrobatic style as well. I, I think it was wushu or something. I'm trying to think what it was. Mm. Uh, and then they also said to me, bear in mind, there's two other animatronic hands. So you're gonna have four hands in total. So you're doing two, but try to imagine you've got another two to work with and play off that. So it was, it was a lot going on. Um, so they had you in a hunter outfit right off the bat, like a, like a proto, it was the one. I think the hunter, you know, has a lot of, variations different masks and things like that but i'm, I'm pretty sure it was the hunter uniform i i i, I can't think yeah, it wasn't like a prototype or anything like that you know this well, was yeah, I mean, almost yeah even though we close had, to final we a, even though we had a good budget i'm not sure we had enough budget to be making prototypes for right. you know uh stunties to, <laughs> to, to yeah, that is pretty bougie yeah um I, I think it was the real deal. There was a lot of important people in the room. You know, Toby Froud was there. We had Cam Richardson, who uh, I believe is the director's wife, yep. uh, directing for Louis. Yep. Um, and she was relaying the information to him because he couldn't be there, but I think he wanted to be there. She was brilliant, very, uh, really knew what she wanted. And, um, yeah. uh, and she's was very a real-life <laughs> Yes, yeah. exactly. She's so, the um, princess of the fandom. We love her here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you were quoting me because I said that to her. You were just, I thought I'd said that at the uh, on the Dark Crystal. Um... Oh, she's even acknowledged it in her own sort of Instagram posts and things. And, and Louis, when we interviewed Louis, he talked about it as well, how he, he joked that he married her because she looked like a Gelfling. Great. Hilarious. Um, yeah, anyway, she, yeah, she has continue. got a certain <laughs> Gelfling charm, hasn't she? She... Um, uh, there's something there, isn't there? I, I can't quite place, but I did say that to her as well. <laughs> I think I made so many blunders. Luckily, they somehow all went down well. I, I, it's, it's a miracle. The whole process from start to finish is an absolute miracle how I got well, this it job. Seems like there's I could so never much... do it again. It was just sheer luck. Right. <laughs> it seems like there's so much about this audition process that, I mean, even if you don't get the part, you're already part of the world just by showing up for an audition. You know, day one, you get to go to Thra and meet all of the people and put the costume on and start being the character. So even if you walked away not getting the part, you you were still like, hey, that was all worth it, man. That was the best. So yeah, um, part of and Dark it Christmas seems history. Like exactly you're you're already part of the story just from that one interaction so that you're right that is unlike any other audition process that you can that you can think of for um 
for anyone who is in the entertainment industry. It's Henson is really its own entity. So you're yet another voice adding to that uh, <laughs> that story that Henson is just its own universe altogether. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but I think, it, and also I think, you know, if you're a fan, I think it really helps because um, I think we only really recognize all those things because we're so into it. I mean, there's probably been other auditions I've gone in where there has been that much of authenticity, but I just probably wasn't particularly interested in the subject matter to pick up on it, you know? Um, so I think, I don't think it's a coincidence that a lot of the people who are booked were very passionate about the original film because I think that enthusiasm comes through and I think it's hard work. You know, the, the, the Gotham outfit is, is unbelievably heavy and very uncomfortable. I mean, they did an incredible job to make it as comfortable as possible, but it's a really, uh, it's quite claustrophobic. It, it's, not, it's not a nice thing or an easy thing to move around in, but if you love it, you know, there's that quote, I think it's from Confucius, you know, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. So I think it's important if you're going to do this sort of work, you've got to really enjoy it because um, it is tough. It's not all, you know, marshmallows and rainbows. It's tough stuff, but the rewards come from really taking a great pleasure uh, and kind of pride in, in, in the work that you do. And, and I, I think that's what, that was one of the things I don't know, but I imagine that probably worked in my favor. They probably thought, look, this guy is so keen. <laughs> he'll probably, he'll probably oh, put yeah. his all into it. Let's, let's, let's give him a chance. That was the case for everyone we've we've spoken to thus far, all the way up to the the writers of the entire series talked about how being a fan of the franchise is so crucial to bringing it to life. And they kind of discussed having to walk that balance between professional and being a fan themselves. Um, even even the ones who have you know been puppeteers and been in the industry for for years already, the Dark Crystal is just held as this magnum opus, you know, for. Um, for the artistry of it all and even people who were already legends in their own right were still fanboying <laughs> all, all the way so I think that that probably was something that I can imagine was very important when you walked in for them to feel that sort of kinship like ah yes he's one of us <laughs> <laughs> I hope so that's, that's a really nice thing of you to say I hope so so to try to answer your original question um the audition was uh, was unusual. It was unusual because I was casting as the hunter, um, and then the they. <laughs> I, I was down to the final two for the for the hunter role, um, and. But you were too tall, right? Well, I mean, that's what they said to me. They 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 said mm -hmm. they were trying to substitute me too, and, and it was too. But I, I imagine they would just be very polite. <laughs> I mean, the, uh, the you know, the, the gentleman who actually played the hunter in the end, it was absolutely fantastic. And I almost oh, yeah. can't imagine anyone else doing it. So, Legendary. Uh, yeah, I, I, so that that is what they said to me. But, uh, you know, I mean, there is a huge height difference between the two of us. I think I'm I'm quite a tall man. I look tiny in all my pictures. I'm always standing next to the director who is a mountain. He makes me look like a little boy because he's a <laughs> mountain of a man. But I'm yeah. six foot one. <laughs> and how tall is Louis? What is he like? Six six. He's massive. He's huge. He's absolutely huge. So I so I, I probably look tiny in all the behind the scenes pictures, but uh, I'm I'm substantially taller than all the other cast. Um, so there was that. But they said no one had got their quote was they said no one had got as much air in the costume as, as I'd got. So I did this kind of aerial uh, kick move, um, and um, I they were very impressed with impressed by that to actually get the costume off the ground 
um, if you watch the original, talking about another Henson production, if you watch the original Ninja Turtle film, oh there was goodness. a <laughs> great film. There was yes. uh, the test. They, they, they went through so many stuntmen inside those suits. And one of the tests they had to do is they all had to do a front flip um, in the suit and something else uh, as like just a prerequisite to kind of get on set. Because basically, if you couldn't do that in the weight and not being able to see properly, then you weren't really going to be able to do anything else. So it was it was a bit like that. So um, they were very impressed by that. And they said, look, you know, we've got another role. It's much smaller, but it's a very iconic role and uh, it's really physical. And we think you could do it. You know, would you be interested in doing it? Uh, and, you know, the rest is the rest is history, of course. And can you imagine if you had tried to do like a flying leap in the Gartham outfit? I'm I'm just trying to imagine now like, Gartham flying flip. through the air. Like, <laughs> I, do you know what? I would have loved to have, have uh, done something a bit more adventurous. It was really hard. I mean, it's the only original costume, so or puppet, depending how you want to turn the Gartham, because it's mm -hmm. a slightly different beast. So I, d I was desperate not to damage it, to be honest. It's this incredible artifact. Yeah, because, I mean, that, that was a thing. Because I know that, that Gotham outfit um, was actually from, from the original film, wasn't it, right? It's the only original, yeah. Well, everything else, even though they look original, they all had to actually be remade with the exception of the Gotham. I mean, it was spruced up a bit, um, but uh, it is fundamentally uh, the original. I mean, they just kind of... We just did a lot of repairs on the go. Right. But, uh, you know, it, it, it is an original costume. It, it was it's an amazing, it was so funny as well, because we can, it, it took us, it must have taken at least a week to assemble. We had everyone there. No one, no one could remember how to put it together. It's, it's in <laughs> so many pieces. It looks like it's just kind of one piece, but it really is in so many parts. And uh, my favorite memento from the, that's the right word, my favorite sort of keepsake from the job is there was one part it's a bit like an ikea bookshelf there was one part that we couldn't work out where it went we tried for ages and at the end of the whole production they said to me you could have this part so i've got a part so i've got an actual part to the garden even though we have no idea where it goes i've got that that's my my favorite thing <laughs> i don't care what it is but it's mine forever <laughs> yeah that's awesome god i hope it's not important <laughs> we have a huge season two I know, oh, yeah, part. yeah. If it, yeah, yeah, bring bring that part along and 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 see if we can, you know, find out where exactly it goes to the whole time. Um, <laughs> be a nice little challenge, yeah. Like, all right, Henson, you can borrow this back, but give it back when you're done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what? So what we had to do is we had to get we contacted as many people as we could who, you know, would remember how this thing was put together. Which isn't it's not as you think. It wasn't the actors who were playing it. It's more the people who sort of made the costumes and things um and then we had photos and we were watching the original film and behind the scenes and magazine <laughs> and all these things from the 80s and we, we had this like it was called the gartham file we had this stack with the gartham file and we were all trying to work out oh no that one goes there and it's supposed to look like this it's supposed to be more hairy it's supposed to be less hairy it's supposed to have more of a shimmer it's supposed to be this because gartham is different colors in every different scene so it's like, we couldn't work, what color is it? In the end we worked out, it's got that sort of beetle sheen to it where, you know, it looks different um, depending on the light and how you look at it. But yeah, for like ages it was like, is it, is it more brown? Is it more purple? Is it more blue? Is it, you know? So there was so much discussion uh, and that was great fun. Just everybody putting their heads together and just trying, just trying to remember how to put this thing together. Really. Yeah, that sounds like the best like Ikea session ever and um it was it was but i think after a week they were getting frustrated <laughs> you know like come on guys you've got to crack this you know yeah 
Well, anyone who's ever tried to build a bed from Ikea can probably understand, so. Um, but this is like building a gigantic lobster. And, uh, you know, it, it makes sense that of all of the, of all of the pieces from the original film that the Gartham would be the one to stand the test of time because it's just this massive exoskeleton with all of those those layers it's essentially a gigantic lobster and um well it was just, a, just amazing. supposedly if the story's true by Frau senior it was um yeah he had the inspiration from a lobster dinner he had so that's right. quite an astute observation about the uh, the lobster but I think they're supposed yeah. to be a part, a, a sort of a head nod to the an alien on the Skeksy world. I think right. I read in one of the other Dark Crystal iterations, one one of the mm -hmm. literatures. I think that's the idea. Yeah, yeah, I think it was something to do with that. It, it was, um, I think it was like based on dreams, like or yeah, that was inspired from from the Earth Skeks from their home world that there was sort of similar creatures or something. Yeah, along those yeah, lines. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I think Which I, I thought that, was kind of neat. Be, yeah, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. I don't know character there is i think i read that on the back of an old collectible card like from the 80s and they they, yeah. they um and i think that's what it said it's like the trivia on the back but <laughs> god knows if yeah. that was just made up by the people selling the cards but i thought it was kind of cool i like to think that's the case i like to think the scientist was thinking back to his home world and thought this would be this would be cool yeah, yeah and luckily and just like luckily you know he had the grunax and um you know to sort of, and the Aratha and that sort of I guess you know reminded him of his earlier times so it's like oh okay i think we can piece it together and yeah <laughs> well these this is kind of the cool thing these are the great thought experiments to have isn't it it's like well how do you know trying to get into it and like how did that come about they probably have covered it in one of the amazing uh either novels or comics and things i was saying to some of the guys you know even though look you know i actually still think somehow season two will kind of manifest itself is my is my opinion that's based on nothing by the way so i don't want anyone like going oh that's confirmation oh, yeah. no, oh, no. oh that's all locked in yeah <laughs> quite yeah. often the fans tell me things you know or rather me telling right. the fans things so um but that's that's my opinion but even if it doesn't it it's not the end of the dark crystal it will certainly live on in uh, the many many different mediums it, it's it's still going on so whether that is comic book or whether that's novel whether that's like um a Blu-ray, like straight to DVD films type thing. There'll be some way this story continues. I I, I 100% believe that. Yeah, and we're still getting, you know, new, um, you know, fans have just got into the Dark Crystal through Age of Resistance and they're still, you know, discovering all these, you know, other, these other mediums as well, especially with the comics and the young adult novels. So, um, yeah, it's been really cool for them, you know, to seeing, well, you know, story. people. I think it's, yeah. I think it's yeah. you know, I think it's an important story for, for now as well because you know a lot of people experiencing lockdown we're in full lockdown here in london where i live and uh you know it's, it's just a nice message about kind of you know coming to get working together and kindness and love and you know I, I think it's we need a bit more of that you know absolutely 100 percent. yep and it's and it's ageless as well it's applicable to all ages um there are lessons to be taken from it for all audiences of all generations and i think even though it is especially poignant now, I think it will continue to be poignant and to be a universal message, you know, for generations to come, as is obvious by the fact that a movie from 1982 is still, you know, relevant to us today. Um, and that's, and that's you know, well, I don't know if I don't know if I agree with all that, except I'm not sure I can say for all ages. My nephew's too terrified to watch it, which, you know, uh, but, but someone's telling <laughs> you you can watch it without the scary bits in. Apparently right. there's this wonderful option on Netflix. I haven't tried that. So 
uh, I might try that because I would um, one day, at least one day, like to watch it with my nephew. But uh, yeah, I don't. But then saying that, you know, when I watched the original, I was terrified. So most of my peers were as well. <laughs> yeah, it's one of these funny. You know, we, I was talking about this a little bit with James from um, Dark Crystal Project, hey, and this Shout idea out. of yeah, shout out to James. No, thank you, James, <laughs> for everything. He's one of the guys that tells me when things are happening, you know, rather as the same, rather than me sort of say, oh, well, you know, this is going to be released. It's going to be that. James actually fills me in, which is, which is quite funny. It's yeah. like, oh, you're in a book this week. I was like, oh, I've got to buy that. It's great. So um, I was saying to James that uh, the certification on these things is really interesting. Um, and like how they quantify that. The other thing that's interesting, if you look at certifications sort of in the States compared to certifications in the UK, they're totally different. So, for instance, I think America seems to be more uh, concerned with sexual references in terms oh, yeah. of how highly they rate the film, whereas the UK seems to be more concerned with violence, uh, violence yeah. in it. So, for instance, if I see something that's been certified in the States, sometimes I'm quite shocked at how violent it is oh, yeah. um, for the age bracket it's set for. Yep. You seem to be able to get away with quite a lot as long as it hasn't got any sexual content. And I think you guys might think uh, the sort of opposite for the for the UK. So anyway, the reason I'm saying this is, though, although um, the dark, the original Dark Crystal, I think, was marketed towards children. I remember finding some of those scenes very disturbing and particularly the one with the, the chancellor's kind of you know, ousted and stripped bare. Yeah. The chancellor oh, even rather. Um, so... Um, that you know that that is a a it's a violent scene you know do you know what i mean I and mean, there's no, no one's getting punched oh, yeah. or anything but Absolutely. it's a violent scene and and it, the fact that i can still remember it 30 years later yeah. <laughs> shows you it's sort of it's got you know scarred my conscience uh, <laughs> yeah um because even even for myself like i was even sort of surprised um like like even in, in australia that um that it was I think when the film came out and I think even, you know, as of probably five or so years ago when it came out on Blu-ray that it's rated as G, which is like the lowest rating, you know, for general, you know, that for anyone to watch it, it just says scary scenes. Um, but of course, I think with the, um, when they reissued it um, on Blu-ray and 4K that they upped it to 2 PG. Um, but yeah, it is a weird, it is kind of weird that it's like, yeah, I would have thought, you know, it, it, it is probably a P, definitely a PG film um but i mean of course it was of course uh, some scenes i'm like oh you, you know could have you know could have potentially been an m um here in australia so yeah yeah so i thought that was really interesting because i know I, I think in america is it was it p um what, what what rating rating for it is it in the u.s is it pg-13 um, or is it you know what i would have to pull up my my blu-ray from behind me but I, if i remember correctly i think you're right when it was re-released on blu-ray um it went to pg um, I don't think the PG rating existed yet in the early 80s over here. Oh, um, yes, cause the, the because the PG-13, that was done because of um, Indiana uh, Jones. Temple of Doom. Yeah. Temple of Doom was the one um, that got got the uh, PG-13 going in the yeah. US, yeah. Um, so, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, internet out there, anyone listening, but I do, I do actually think that the Dark Crystal, at least now in the United States, is PG. But also, you know, that was never really something I necessarily paid attention to as a, as a kid. You know, my mom put on what she put on. Um, but my, my uh, younger brother definitely echoes Dan's same sentiments about uh, the, the Chamberlain, his being stripped away and outcasted and, 
the podling being drained and you know so many of my friends when I was a kid I was watching this movie at four years old and I was a you know creepy weird kid so I was into it but um, and it was gateway horror for me I became a horror fan later in life and that was probably why um, but my brother still he's 25 years old and he's like nope I can't do it it's terrifying I can't. yeah so, uh, <laughs> just can't handle it right yeah. on the money Dan <laughs> yeah but then watching it multiple times just gets through it yeah <laughs> But I think, but I think, how cool of it, you know, that they actually offer age resistance with this adapted option. I've never checked That's it out, so but cool. um, it's really, really thoughtful that they that they've done that. I think it just shows yeah, you again, I... it's like the extra miles, like you know, that they've they've taken with this production. So amazing, absolutely. You know, um, I, we're definitely in the camp of being grateful. Um, you know, while while it can be. Um, an instinct to sort of raise our fists to the heavens and be angry <laughs> about not getting a season two. That is very easy to be like, you know, darn you, Netflix. But at the same time, um, there's so much to be grateful for. You know, the, the fact yeah, that we got definitely. 10 hours of content, I mean, we, there's, it's amazing, a miracle that we got 10 hours of new Dark Crystal content and this kind of expansion of the universe. And, and look at all the people it's brought together and um, this new family yeah. and Age of Resistance that you're a part of. So. Look, who would have thought in 2020, this really oh. quite, it was an out there film in the 80s, let alone in 2020, this film with puppets, yep. you know, it's picked up an Emmy, you know, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's the runaway success. And um, yeah. sorry to be cheesy, but, you know, I think it's just like the old adage, isn't it? You know, it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. You know, we had, the only reason I suppose everybody's upset is because we got it in the first place. And I think people are forgetting Um that was, I mean, there's documentaries about that now, so I'm going to go into this here. But if you look at the making of The Dark Crystal, I mean, it was absolutely miraculous it got made. And people were trying for about 30 years to, to make a, a sequel yeah. and with no success. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, definitely feel very, very lucky. And as I said, you know, my, my, my opinion of it is it's not the end anyway, but um, no it's way, just no my way. opinion. Yeah. And let's not forget, too, that the, uh, the fan community of the Dark Crystal franchise is one that is extremely creative. There's so much um, fan art, fan fiction, um, so many creations that are inspired from this universe. And many of those fans end up being part of the official, you know, the the official story. You know, look at look at J.M. Lee who wrote the the YA novels. You know, it, he started out. Uh, as a with a fan contest for for writing and now he's like the official word on dark crystal canon <laughs> um and writing languages and things so you know and, and it's really cool the more people we talk to uh, yourself included who are just like hey i'm just a, as excited as everyone else i'm a, i'm a fan right there with you i'm geeking out as well so did you find that um i, I kind of asked this as well to the to the writers and to louie um, so I might as well ask you as well. Did you find that balancing your instinct to sort of geek out and go into full fanboy mode would kind of get in the way um, of your, not necessarily your professionalism, but your, your method as you're performing and you have to kind of separate what you know technically about performing and how to do your job correctly by the book? Sort of did that sort of juxtapose your desire to just get kind of give in to the inner fanboy and oh look where I am or did you find that it was helpful did they did they go hand in hand I don't think, claw and claw, I don't think the performance was a was a problem because I think when you really when you're really into something you know if anyone's really passionate about anything they're they're probably you know they're going to give it their all and they're probably going to be pretty good at it because they they the stakes are so high they're so invested in it 
it was very important to me that I you know, tried my very best to give it as, as good and accurate a performance as I could. So that wasn't a problem. But um, in terms of kind of fanboying, uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably the most unprofessional I've ever been on any set. I mean, I definitely just fanboy. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't really get stressed about work. I think, you know, we have so many bigger things in life to, to you know, going on. So I kind of felt like, you know what? You only live once. Here I am. I'm in Thra. I'm going to enjoy it. And, so, here, here. and also, I was a little yeah. bit, I suppose, uh, the, the Gartham, the, the interiors of it are molded on my body and face. So, you know, there's no one else who can get in it. So I kind of thought, maybe I thought, maybe I thought it'd be lose. a tough job to replace me. <laughs> you know, once I was in there, I thought maybe I, you know, I really can enjoy this because I think subconsciously I was thinking, I'm quite, I'm in here. You know? <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. I knew it did anything outrageous, but, you know, I, I certainly enjoyed, you know, I'd have to walk past all the kind of creative studios and you'd see all the concept art being drawn in front of your eyes and stuff. And, you know, I'd stop and have a look and I'd, you know, occasionally have a chat to people. I mean, you don't take the mick. I mean, you don't stop them doing their job. But, yeah, did I enjoy it? And did I take every opportunity possible? Yes, 100%. And the other thing is, you know, you don't ask, you don't get. So... I, I did ask Brian Froud for an a original Skeksy sketch uh, then and there to do in front of me, which he did. It's, it's my favourite drawing I've got. It's oh, so yeah. lovely. If we were on video, I would show it to you. It's really good. So um, stuff like that I would never normally do on a set. But, you know, it's one of my favourite. The original is one of my favourite films of all time. So yeah, how often do you get that opportunity? Um, Anyway, it's not the way, you, if anyone's watched, listened to this thing, you know, I want to go into acting, it's not the way you conduct yourself as an actor, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, oh, I wouldn't take it back, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of it is also just reading, I mean, as they say, reading the room, but once you've developed sort of a, a rapport with the people that you're working with and, you know, you're... Yes, very well said. Situation. I think that was the other thing. It was, it was never badly received. I think... It, yeah you know the line like I yeah you know if, if people were stressed trying to get seen and they're running out of time you know you 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 don't do any of that and you get on with it so you have to read the room in the situation that's definitely true I mean I never did yeah I, I never stepped over the line I think that's 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 the key thing just common sense just use your common sense yeah yeah absolutely um it's just the the endless stories that pour in about that that sense of just wonderment that did not stop when the cameras stopped rolling. Was there a particular moment for you where you where it hit you like, oh my God, I'm here. I am in Thra, I'm doing this. Or was that just immediately? My, my like favorite <laughs> moment was they were really, as I said, provided you're doing a good job, they were a lovely company to work for. That's both Netflix and Henson Company. And they would allow you to bring friends and family over. As long as they signed all the NDAs and stuff, they could enjoy right. being in Thra. So my favorite moment was I invited my brother down, who, believe it or not, is an even bigger Dark Crystal fan than I am. <laughs> and uh, they just treated him so well. And he absolutely loved it. And it was one of the few days we had behind the scenes going on. Um, so they, for some of the books, they, they, they shoot a lot of behind the scenes. And because um, <laughs> he, was, he was hanging around me and I happened to be talking to Brian Froud and Louis that day, there's this wonderful picture <laughs> of myself, my brother, Brian Froud and Louis and they the Netflix the, the people who are doing the photos they must because my brother has a normal sort of city job they must have thought he was a Netflix exec so they started photographing him and he wasn't going to tell anyone that he didn't work for the Dark Crystal <laughs> so my favorite moment was my brother being 
mistaken as part of like one of the Netflix execs for the Dark Crystal, like having his picture taken and all these things and just seeing him absolutely in his element. I thought that was great. It was a great moment. And it was just a really nice day um, for us in general. We got a lot of good scenes um, done that day and it was cool for him to be able to kind of actually see this, these scenes being captured, which he then, you know, were binge watched on Netflix. <laughs> and so like, I mean, I mean, of course, you know, with your role as a Gotham, like, uh, I know you appeared in, you know, I think uh, two, two scenes. Um, uh, like, I mean, I mean, how much, I mean, that must have been a lot of work, you know, sort of getting into the Gartham outfit, you know, not, not, you know, with, with the weight of it all. Um, was it, was it pretty, pretty hard work? Like, even though it was, you know, you're only, you know, it was such a, you know, these really short scenes. Um, it's huge amount of work. It's, yeah. it's uh, yeah. you know, each of those, I mean, it's probably two months work. It's a, it's a lot of work. Be, you wouldn't believe how much it is, you know, from the moment of arriving, getting the costume built, working out the mechanics of it, how best to move. And then uh, you think you're moving a certain way, but then you've got to watch the playback and make sure it's reading uh, as uh, a creature rather than reading as a human. And then it's like, well, it also needs to be as true as possible to the original. And that's difficult because there were several Gotham actors and they all play it slightly differently. So it's like, well, which one do we want to make it most like? You know, Toby uh, Toby was really hands-on with this and, you know, he found bits that he thought were sort of quintessentially Gotham. And he's like, I want it done like this. And we would practice together, just him and I. No one, you know, he's just doing his free time and we, we'd workshop it and until we got it to a point where we felt like, yes, that is Gotham. Uh, and then it was like, uh, the two, two scenes are quite actually hard to um to capture one of them you know is is up in the caves and you know i had to be rigged to that so you know it's, i had like rock climbing gear on sort of underneath so i had all these harnesses underneath the the armor as well uh, and it was like managing that but then uh you know there's health and safety there. it's a really heavy costume and i go right to the edge of those rocks and um you know if i fall on anyone you know it's incredible potentially fatal and things so it's about being safe but at the same time not looking like I'm, you know, really kind of watching the edge and stuff. So, we, you know, we had all these kind of practice runs to make sure we could do it as safely as possible whilst being in keeping in the character. The, the, the work is, is mammoth. I mean, honestly, there's so many little things that you may, you probably don't consciously read, but hopefully subconsciously you read it as that's a Gotham rather than that's an incomplete fanboy in a costume. That's what I hope anyway. Oh, totally. And and I also, I think James said it as well, and I'm going to hop on and totally agree with him that it's a seamless continuation of the movement that was established in the film. You know, if, if we didn't know any better um, and no names were credited, we would wonder, like, wow, did they bring back the same guys who did it? Yeah, no, whether it was like Toby like, Philpott or, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be I hard. tried to do a head nod now. to Toby. I did. I love Toby's style. Most of the behind the scenes pictures I had were of Toby and this guy with this kind of long 70s style hair and this headband. He looked like a sort of rocker, you know? And um, if there are some rare behind the scenes photos of me uh, with the helmet off, just in the suit. Uh, and I really tried to replicate that, that thing to Toby. So that was, like, that was just like a little, a little thing that I was just doing just to sort of, as a, almost like an Easter egg, <laughs> if yeah. anyone can, can, can match it up. So um uh yeah that's really um that was very nice of james to say that uh, um so I, I appreciate that and if, if he if he felt it was seamless and he's god he must have watched it more than anyone i know so um <laughs> that's it that's uh that's a good sign off for me that we we did it success successfully we did it right yeah it's absolutely true the um 
the way that you moved when you came out onto that ledge and then got into your little <laughs> position and everything and just um, everything, everything. It's very subtle movements. You know, I, I feel that um, as as somebody watching, I imagine it would be very easy if you were in a big giant thing like that to just sort of clunk about like a big oaf and <laughs> not have any subtlety and just kind of be this big crashing monstrous thing but the fact that there are specific subtle movements in there that if you've seen the movie a thousand times you you recognize it and you would know if it didn't match you'd be like that's not a gartham that's yeah it's definitely the gartham's have certain even if you look at all all gartham like they have certain things in common so the way the um they've got kind of two different arms you've got like a sort of what i'll call an arm and a claw and the way the claw slots into the arm in a resting position is done in a very certain way, you know, and you've got to get the right one on top and the right one underneath. Um, the, the way it sort of almost activates itself is done in a, in a certain sort of way. So, you know, we really, we were very keen to kind of make sure all those things were as accurate as they could be. And that's why we had the Garfield file. So we could, so we could study it really and hopefully have it by the end of it second nature. So we weren't, we weren't thinking about it too much, but just, just being in the in those scenes so um yes uh, so thank you thank you thank you for the far too kind <laughs> words it's just it's fascinating did did you um were you able to study ahead of time sort of once you knew uh what you were doing was was there any time before you like all right i'm doing this to sort of go back and study the film and do a little bit of your own research on your own in terms of well not really because when, when i was told I, I got the job there was a bit of a miscommunication i thought i was the garfield general because bear in mind i'd gone in as as the uh, as a skexy uh, you know i'd gone mm. in to do the hunter so i was with the skexy guys so when they said oh you've got the garfield one uh, i was like oh so okay so i'm garfield general so i thought that's that so that, so uh, it was so i was preparing for the wrong part in answer to your <laughs> question i was very wow, prepared yeah. for, 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 for the other role <laughs> that i never played although i nearly did the battle scene because uh, we oh, okay. we a lot of us double up and, and i think right. a lot of the fans may not realize that so you you may have one principal character you do but you know you do bits and pieces here and there and and muck in right. and uh I was, I was sort of moments away from being called into the big battle scene because uh, we needed quite a lot of people for that. But somehow, uh, well, I think they thought they were letting me off by saying, oh, no, you, it's all right, you're not needed. But I was really gutted. I, I really yeah. wanted to be involved in that. But, but it's the, the, the escape is a hard work. I mean, you know, we had a, oh, yeah. I think it was an osteopath on set because people got such bad cramps and things doing that. It's, it's a very awkward puppet to do. You know, you've got one hand sort of, shoved right up there and you're doing all the you know the, the mouth stuff and you you're just not in a very balanced position so although right. the gartham is really um heavy and, and quite painful you're quite balanced which i like um yeah. so it's not like you're sort of twisting your spine or kind of anything like that so uh i i in some some respects i might have had it easier well plus don't two people have to be in the uh in the skexies puppet there's sort of there's so many more people involved in all these things. I mean, even the Gartham, which the fans have been so cool to me. And, and I've had some, I can't tell you some of the wonderful messages and things I've had of people just oh. writing to me, thanking me for the performance things. But it's, I, I try to sort of say to them, it's not me. I mean, yeah, I'm the, I'm the guy inside. And I, I suppose I do most of the, well, I do all the movement, but the, 
there, there was like 20 of us involved in the Gartham. Like if you look at like, there was someone who just did the hairs, someone who just did the hairs in the Gartham. There's someone who does um, the eyes moving, you know, um, there's someone who was in charge of the kind of the coat, the, the paint job, if you like. Um, there's, it's such a big team. Um, and uh, I, I wish I could give a shout out to them all, all now. I can, I can only actually think of, of, of one company because just because the name so catches a company called Stitches and Glue that they were one of the people who were involved in building and maintaining and helping me perform in the Gotham. So shout out to them. Uh, particularly cool. Becky, who um, spent a lot of time getting that right. And uh, I'm so, so, it was such a long time ago now, the other names have escaped me, but all of them equally fantastic. So if any of them are listening, big thank you to you all. You really helped me do a good job. So um, cheers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On that note, are there, um, were there sort of lasting new friendships and, and camaraderies that were created out of the production that you sort of still are in touch with today? Just you know, unbreakable bonds that have been formed through all that you've been through making Age of Resistance. Brian Froud is, is, a, is a real legend. We, it was a, it's a strange thing because he's obviously one of the top boys on that production. And the, where I had my little stage area, like my Gartham change room, whatever you want to call it, was directly next to his. So we spent days and days together just chatting oh. about all sorts, you know, just shooting the breeze. So... Uh, I became pretty pretty well acquainted with him, and he he's just a hilarious man, very grounded, and we would talk about all all sorts. I mean, really all sorts. I mean, things totally off topic. Um, so uh, that was really cool. No, I mean, answer to your question, I wish I'd stayed in, in better touch. Um, you just take it for granted when you're seeing people at work every day. You just, I think I took it for granted. I should have tried to maintain some of those friendships a bit better. I think. Um, well, even if you're not talking now, just there, the sort of bonds uh, that you make when you're doing a project like that, that even if years were to go by before you spoke, I imagine if, if that team were to get together for like a reunion party, it would just be like no time has gone by, right? I imagine you'd probably echo those sentiments that um, the, the... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a great team. They know how to party. We, we, had, we had a rap party. It was brilliant. So, uh, yeah, that would be great. If we had a reunion, it would... Oh, it would go off. It, it was, it was, it was really cool. So I, I hope we do do a reunion. Let's get, let's make that happen. That would be really cool. I feel like that's a more reasonable request than a season two. Like, let's give us a, give us a Blu-ray and give us a reunion party. We that's... should at least celebrate that Emmy, right? I mean, that's yeah. that is against the odds. We beat Star Wars for goodness' sake. I mean, that Heck is that yes. is like unheard of, isn't it? Oh yeah, man! I cheered so loud because that was that worried me. You know, leading up to the Emmys, like, oh, they're up against Star Wars. That didn't even watch it. I just thought we're in a battle with Star Wars. Just forget about it. And then so I, I found out like an hour afterwards. And I was like, oh my yeah. god, this is incredible! This is incredible! So uh, yeah, we should definitely we should do some sort of um, we should do some kind of celebra celebration. Yeah, I'd do actually worked with some of them before. So some of them, I, I guess, the ones who I was friends with before, I'm probably sort of vaguely still in touch with. So um, there's, there's, it's a strange thing that kind of the, the scene in the industry, because it is huge, there's so many people in it. But then there seems to be quite a small pool of people who actually kind of get the work. So you do see the same sort of people at every single job. I mean, just to give you an example, one of the person who, who worked on the Gartham was, uh, I've got two brothers, was actually chatting to my other brother today via a Zoom meeting for another project, because he's sort of in the more... Uh, where he does 3D modeling, so he does CGI. So they were talking about another project. Uh, and it's quite funny because the Dark Crystal came up and he said, 
oh, that's interesting. My brother actually worked on that. He, he was actually the Gartham. And one of the people talking to by Zoom was like, is your brother Dan? It's like, yes. She's like, yeah, you know, I sort of work with them every, that, that was actually Becky from Stitches and Clues. So it's quite funny. Oh, wow. She was like, yeah, she worked with them every day for a month. So it's a, it's a, it's a really small world. It really is. It, you know, it never fails to amaze me. You, whenever you do any of these jobs, you're bound to know at least one person, uh, you know, that. So those, those, those relationships last, I like to think. So, and just thinking about the, the Emmy, um, which we found out recently is um, that they're no longer doing a primetime Emmy for um, outstanding children's programs. So again, Dark Crystals again, and another part of history being the, you know, potentially like the last you know, cool. winner of, you know, that is very cool, for the primetime Emmy. Emmy. We will go down. We were the last ones. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's before they moved We broke the mold. Yeah. I know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so um, Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> Can I just say I love Star Wars, but I was very. Oh, that's totally to fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do um, love them. They'll be fine. They'll survive a couple of pokes. We want to keep them humble. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They've been dominating for too long. Got to root for the underdog. Yeah. Absolutely. Puppets. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and Dan, one thing I was really very interested to know uh, more about, of course, is um, your initiative that you actually that you started, I, I don't know, wherever it's been quite a while that you've run this called um, Lose Waste. Um, I, I'm very interested to know like h- how that sort of came about. And I guess um, in a way how, how it was like sort of implemented with, um, uh, you know, we heard stories that there was, that was sort of implemented in a way with um, working on the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Yeah, I, that, I, well, that's definitely true. I mean, uh, they didn't want any kind of formal creditation for it, so I, I never did it. But it definitely materialised during the, the Dark Crystal. So I, um, so for people who don't know, I just do a do a very small charity initiative where I take leftover food and it's normally food, but food and products from sets and things, and I redistribute out to the homeless through through another charity. Who, you know, we do it all properly, and particularly now during. COVID, there's all sorts of protocol things you have to follow to, to make right. sure you do that sort of stuff safely. But um, it came about because, uh, oh, I don't know, you know, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to give back, I guess. And, um, you you know, you see all these sad, you know, things on the news and stuff and, uh, or even people, you know, you walk past in the street. And I'm always amazed in London, you know, it's a first world country in the year 2020 and there's so many homeless it just breaks my heart and yeah. what's even sadder is people just walk past them like they're a piece of furniture we're almost desensitized to it, and I think that's almost a bigger tragedy yeah. um so I, I just wanted to do something and I, and I felt overwhelmed and I, I you know you know what can you do and it, it was overwhelming and I thought well you know there's something there, there must be something I can do and this was just something I can do you know while I'm at work I noticed that um, there's often a surplus of food and things after after set. That is very good food, um, and uh, you know, safe to redistribute if it's done in the right way. So I thought I can do this, and then it was just finding the right kind of charity to to work with, and and uh, you know how to go about it. There's a lot of learning the rope. So you know, funny enough, I was having this discussion with. Um, my other brother a couple of days ago the one who's in the behind the scenes how as a many of you official. are there <laughs> i've got two i've got two um uh, full brothers and then i've got seven step siblings so it's a big big old family um so uh anyway so he he had this idea of you know i'm gonna do really well in business and then i'm gonna do something 
charitable at the end. And I think a lot of people think this, like, I'll, you know, I'll make a lot of money and then I'll do something really, really good. But I said to him, you don't need to be so binary. You know, you can kind of do both. Do something as you go along because the amount of learning the ropes you have to do, like I, I had this idea of redistributing out the food, but actually, you know, I made a, a bit of a balls up of it when I started. You know, it, it, it was hard to, to you know, to get, to get it out in time before it all went off and like finding vehicles and things. to try. It's a lot to think about. Um, so, uh, I, so it, it's taken me a few years to kind of get into a swing of it and, and do it efficiently. Um, but yes, they were really kind to, uh, at Thra, <laughs> where um, A, they, they super looked after us. We had wonderful food and great chefs there on site making all this food, really keeping the workforce like going. Uh, and B, that they allowed this probably quite annoying actor trying to do this kind of trying to having this kind of big vision but really having nothing kind of to back it up to kind of take a punt on me and allow me to 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 try and then by the end of the um production i i, I got quite good at it and we were we were getting out to these kind of walk-in soup kitchen type places and um oh it was so rewarding it was great to see you know the the, the difference it was making uh so uh, you know it's not it's um it's not a massive thing by any means, but you know, it makes a small difference to someone. And there's no small uh, charity. No... Yeah, well, it's, it's like um, there's that there's that analogy, isn't there, of the um, the starfish? I don't know if you know that that story. It's often used as an argument for for charity. I don't know if it's a true story, but basically, the the, the story goes as a boy walking across the beach, and he's throwing starfish uh, into the sea that are kind of out left out on the bank, and they're, they're atrophying to death. They're drying up, and an old man sees him. And he says, what are you doing? He says, oh, you know, I'm saving the starfish. And he looks out and there must be like 50,000 starfish like going miles down the, the shore. And he's, you know, and he's like, you can't possibly make a difference. And the little boy picks up the one starfish and he throws it into the sea. And he says, well, I made a difference to that one. And it's, it's this kind of idea that sometimes we can get lost in the scale of these things. But when it comes to people and things, uh, you know, you, you really can even if you only reach one person, it's, you know, yep. that's their world, that's them, you know, and you, you yep. can, so. And that blossoms too. One person, you know, that you inspire or change or help, um, that domino effects <laughs> and um, inspires others to do the same. And it's just, you know, there really is no small charity. And I love that, uh, that starfish sort of, proverb there yeah it's a lovely story isn't it? i hope it's true i don't know whether it's just a metaphor but i i hope it's true anyway um it's it's functional though for me as i said you know i'm at work anyway so uh i think that's the trick like try not to have something that is um uh you know you don't well i never tell i don't want to tell anyone what to do but uh, you don't have to do something that's completely disruptive to your life you can try to find something in what you do already to make a difference that that's the way i i've gone about it. i'm not saying that's the right way but um i found it works for me um that's quite good and also and and learn the ropes like i work with um uh, another charity that's been going for years so you know i i their expertise and things kind of guides uh you know yeah help me do the job properly so like don't try to like don't try to kind of get too big for your boots too quickly like there's nothing wrong with working under some experts learning the ropes learning how it's done you know, if you want to get good at something. That's amazing advice. We're going to call this episode Proverbs and Life Lessons with Dan. Oh, don't, yeah, honestly. Honestly, honestly, what do I know? I'm just a guy in a garden suit. Honestly, don't, please don't. Garth but I think, I, think it's, I think it's nice to, I think it is important in life to, to you know, to give back and to, um, 
to be kind of, uh, I don't know, to stand for something, I guess. Um, but the other thing is, you know, it's, it's also quite a selfish thing. You know, I, it, it makes me feel good, you know, and, I, I, and that's a big part of it. You know, I, I feel better yeah. doing it as well. So it's not, it's not, you know, it's not, utterly, it's not completely selfless. Um, I get a great buzz out of it and it, you know, makes me happy and uh, allows me to do my job better. You know, I think if you're if you're happy and centered, uh, you can you can do a lot in life. We're not. I don't. We're going to go to a mental health thing now. I'm not saying you need to be perfectly happy all the time, but you know what I mean. Just like it, it puts it helps helps keep me in a good place. You know, I, I I peak and trough like everyone else. I don't want everyone to think like I'm happy all the time. I'm not. I'm a human being. I have I have bad days. Believe me, but uh, yeah, it, it just it's 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 it just feels good giving back. That's all. That's that's what I'm trying to say. Thank you so much, Dan, for uh, hanging out with us and giving us all of your amazing insight. It's it's been an absolute pleasure to hear your your stories and and your experience. It's, it's been really cool. Thank oh, you. listen, the, the pleasure's all mine. I love I love talking dark crystal. So uh, don't worry. Anytime, anytime. Excellent. No worries, Dan. No, it was um yeah fantastic having you on the show and just yeah just hearing your stories is um yeah it's just you know even though it's you know like this small role like in the show but you know like i said earlier just you know it is a big character um that's just has that legacy you know for for the you know the almost the 40 years that it you know we've known this character of the gartham and and yeah i, I really felt yeah you really knocked it out of the park you know with um you know with your role like uh, with, with the show um you know i think you, you know you it, it was great to hear you know just how much you know research and um, like how much you, you know, not yourself, but everyone working on the show really, uh, knuckled down on the Gotham, just like, you know, it has to be like this, you know, it has to be like this, you know, the, the things that we all love from, from the original movie. Um, and you know, and, and, and like, I mean, who knows what will happen for the future of the show. And, and I, I mean, I guessing we're all hoping that there'll be, you know, a, a continuation of the story to wrap up. And, um, and I'm sure, you know, if that opportunity ever happens, um, you'll probably be there with bells on, you know, um, to, to reprise if, if it ever happens. If it happens, fingers crossed. Yeah. It'd yeah. be a really, <laughs> yes, it'd yeah. be a really big role for me. And we, sadly, we know what happens because we, we know we've seen the original film. So, uh, there'll be, there'll be a lot of Gotham action. Um, uh, fingers crossed that production thing. I did a good enough job that they would, they would ask me back, but thank you both for having me. Uh, I've really enjoyed being on the show. It's great fun to kind of go back and, and relive it all and talk Dark Crystal again. So um, thank you. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash darkcrystalpodcast. Follow us on Instagram at darkcrystalpodcast and on Twitter at dark crystal pod if you'd like to support the show subscribe to the podcast write a review on apple podcasts and consider being our patreon supporter at patreon.com forward slash dark crystal podcast thank you all so much and stay tuned for the next episode of trial by stone This podcast is brought to you by ThamesCon, bringing conventions to Oxford and London, including the Great Conjunction, the first ever dark crystal convention in the world. For more information, visit their website at 
www.thegreatconjunction.com.